The following program may contain content that's inappropriate for young ears. Be ready to cover them up. Letting it loose today. Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about walking up that mountain of life and recognizing the roles that you are attached to are not you. Who are you up your path, up that mountain of life? And when you are presented with like a ravine that you want to jump over, cultivating that faith in yourself that you know that you can, if you're called to doing it and you want to, just do it. The theme of today is just do it. Believing in yourself and holding that self-love compass, knowing that we're reaching the peak, the ever-expanding peak of self-love, and not to fall south to fear, not to allow the roles that you have based on what you've been taught in society, what you've been bred by your parents, what you've had in relation to others around you. They're not you. And so you have to recognize from this place of internal awareness and through the lagoon that you're going to be like sinking into and holding these roles in the palm of your hand, recognize as you just detach from them that you can, in fact, because they are not a part of you. So we're going to be walking up the mountain a little bit today. We're going to be getting a little lost to get found and letting it loose. Welcome back to Let It Loose. We are still reeling in magic land here from last week's episode where Aaron and I went diving into his lagoon and transmuted a lot of really great uh, heartfelt stuff that came through for him about um, what stuff he was holding on to, what was making him anxious. Um, And I taught him the very basics, the beginning of how to sexually transmute energy that's happening in your body from different parts of you that you're holding on to that are weighing you down. What sexual transmutation really is, is that practice of grabbing your energy from your cave, that sexual energy um, part of you. That's where it's harbored and it's in your pelvis. It's what those who are into chakras call the root chakra. If you don't want to use the term chakras, it's, it's just in your pelvis area. It's located where your genitalia is. It's an energetic force field there where this beautiful, potent, um, creative energy sits and waits for you to discover it, literally. And in this Western world that we've grown up in here, most of us don't know about sexual energy. We just get taught sex or, you know, our sexuality, human basic sexuality. Uh, We also know sexuality in the sense of what not to do, especially if you come from a specific religious background um, you know, you're, you're given all these rules and constructs about what that entails um, as far as living like a good normal life and being a good upstanding citizen. And so there's a lot of guilt associated for a lot of people around their sexuality. And in result of these two things, 
societal constructs about sex and also the way we're taught about sex uh, anatomically rather than the energy form of it, we don't know much, if anything at all, most of us, about this region of us that has very little to do with the act of sex. When I say the word sex, it's not about brown chicken, brown, brown, brown chicken, brown cow. Like it's, it's not, it can be, it is that, but it's so much more than that. And that is really at the base of what sexual transmutation is. When I say that word, I'm incorporating transmutation, which is literally that energetic alchemy that we talked about in another episode. You're taking one energy in your body that's like stuck, trapped, cramped, not feeling good. Not It's like stuffed down. You don't like what's happening there, but you're not even aware of it. It's just making you anxious. You go to that place. You bring it to another area of your body that holds its own energy, like your core, which is your center of personal power. I call it the lagoon of light. That's my visual for it. And you're combining that energy that's stuffed and cramped and, you know, feeling bad and full of anxiety to this other energy center in your body to transmute it. And what that means is making it neutral energy again. We have to remember when we're talking about transmutation, all energy is neutral in its purest form until you, your consciousness, gives it a property. So what you view as negative is because your perception views it as negative. You are choosing to view something as negative where it would otherwise be neutral. You are choosing, therefore, also to see it as positive if you choose that route. And that's why, again, everywhere you put your attention is a choice. And how you place your attention on something external to you and especially internal in you is a choice. You have to remember this. You have to bring that power home to yourself and know that you are in charge of your universe. Your universe is what happens inside of you. You are in charge of what you see, what you're perceiving, what your filters are taking in. We all have our own filtering system of how we view the world around us and how we are living with the internal world going on inside of us. We have a choice about that a million times a day. So when I talk transmutation, I am not trying to be into these highly spiritual realms, even though it's a spiritual term. I'm trying to bring it to a very rational, um, realistic, daily life skills kind of practice level of recognizing when you're holding tight to something inside of you and where that's located. When you're tight, when you're stressed about something, when you've got anxiety about something, where is it located in your body? Go to it with your inner attention and literally breathe, pull it up into your core, into the center of your stomach area, where you can transmute it back to neutral energy. And why we do this? Well, because it feels better to have that neutral energy to replenish and rejuvenate yourself with and use for other things that you want to do than it is to walk around with heavy, cramped, stuffed, old, you know, garbage energy that just really doesn't even belong to you. It's, it's feelings and emotions that you haven't resolved, that you're just carrying this dead weight. It's like carrying a huge, heavy, 350-pound guy around your belly <laughs> or over your shoulders. It weighs you down through the day. You know, it's this dead weight. It's this dead part of you that you need to now recognize is dead. It's in the past. It doesn't exist anymore until you put your attention on it in a negative way and say, oh, that thing's weighing me down. And if you don't do anything about it, it does become a dead weight. 
But if you do something about that inner attention that goes to that place and goes, oh my God, I've been carrying around this 350 pound dead part of myself. You can then put it down. You can then like learn how to take it off. And that's transmutation. Now, sexual transmutation is really at the heart of let it loose because a lot of like let it loose, what it's about is letting your true self out and you cannot fully do that until you employ these deeper regions of you that have such a hugely potent force um, and it's such a part of you as a being in this life that you're not utilizing, that you don't know how to access. And so to truly be the full, present, whole you, whatever you is, whoever you really are, you want to know the full extent of that and live whole and flow fully, get down into the deepest region of you, which is this cave, this sexual energy harbored there. Get to know it. Swim in those dark waters. Dark does not equal bad. Dark just means there's not a lot of light shining on it because you haven't enlightened yourself to this area yet. And being able to pull the sexual energy from that zone into your core gives your energy field a boost like you will not believe. It gives you this extra energy, this fuel to put in other areas of you to expand, to rejuvenate, to enlighten. You can send that sexual energy from your core where it disperses into all this light. You're like generating this power through you. And then you can send it to an area in your heart maybe that hurts that day or that hurts in general. Maybe you're holding onto a heartbreak. Send your breath with that sexual energy that you've brought into your core straight through your heart. You know, that energy transmutes to neutral, right? So all this sexual energy that was so potent and special and like awesome that you swam in in your cave and got all wet with your own juices and flow, you're bringing it into your core where it transmutes to neutral and it's a lot of energy at that point. And then you can push it like a geyser through this part of your self, like your heart, to give it that hug it needs, to give it the light that it needs, to feel that faith in yourself, to trust, to open, to grow in that area that you feel uh, stagnant and confined in, especially in the heart we do this to ourselves if we've been hurt, if we've been rejected, if we've been abandoned. Most of us, even if you can't remember if you have or not, feel this way at some time. And it holds us back from living our true authentic selves because we start to doubt ourselves. And if you doubt yourself, you're lost. You're just lost. It is part of the journey to get lost. But do you want to spend your entire journey fucking lost? You know, sometimes that is your lot in life. But why be lost the whole time? Grab a compass with the center dial being self-love. Recognize that you're here to learn that. And if you're falling south, if you're like really falling away from that, you're going into fear. So look at the world around us right now and recognize a lot of people live in that fear-based place. That fear-based thinking, they're scared. And that's, that fear um, is the opposite of that self-love, which is that you know true trust in yourself, trust on the journey, trust in the journey, trust in you on the journey. Um, and trust that the journey is you. And not to let Others that are also on this journey, on their own journey, deter your path, not to make what they're going through 
what you're going through. If somebody's scared on their path and they're not looking at like all the views in front of them or they don't want to jump over that ravine and open their heart and like really trust and have faith in and start to see bigger, see a bigger picture, that doesn't have to be your path. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It goes back to the what's your shit or what's my shit. But unfortunately, and this is the topic of today's show, unfortunately, especially with our parents, we let in what they view a lot and our spouses as well. Basically anybody we care about a lot. We start to care about what they feel more than we care about what we feel. We start to believe what they're saying over what our intuition and true selves inside are saying to us. I want to jump over that ravine. What's wrong with that ravine? I know I'm a good jumper. I can do that. But your parents or your spouse might not ever know what it's like to have jumped over a ravine. Maybe they're not a good jumper themselves. Maybe they don't believe that they can jump. There are millions of different reasons as to why people don't believe and don't see the same thing you see. And they don't have to. We don't have to agree. You don't have to take in what they say about that ravine or your ability to jump over it. If you want to fly over that thing and you feel like you can, it's all mind over matter. It's all what you believe. But we get really lost in self-doubt when we let in what these closest people to us perceive in their own filters, through their own filters, through their own levels of perception about their own lives. And then when they impart it onto us and they say, well, you can't do that or that's stupid. Why would you try, you know, dot, dot, dot? Why would you try? That's a really bad question. If you know somebody close to you in your life that's telling you not to try, that's not a good person to listen to. And maybe they've had you know, their own shortcomings out of their own failures, and they haven't processed that, and they haven't opened up to what lessons they learned from that, and they're trying to prevent your pitfalls because they love you. But it's not advancing your climb to hold yourself back due to something that has not been your shortcoming. You haven't tried and failed yet. Maybe to fly. And maybe you have. And maybe you're just like a really open person that's like, well, goddamn, I'm going to try more. I'm just going to try again. Try, try, try again. Right? A little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. We have these great stories and metaphors for this since childhood. And that stuff is what you can choose to focus on instead of the negative that's going to create that self-doubt if you let it. I call it hanging off the cliffs of self-doubt. You hang on for long enough, you're going to slip off into fear, which is south from self-love. It's the opposite direction. You fall into fear, and it's a dark forest in there with no paths. And you got to really use your centering and your intuition to find your way out of it, back up to faith. You have to find the faith again, the light in the darkness. There is one, always. There's always a light to be found in the darkness of you. But that faith in yourself is what really comes home. And when you start to find that, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you can make it to that leap of faith to say, I'm going to try. I'm going to jump over this ravine. My dad said this is a really bad idea. My mom says she's going to disown me. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I see them both trying to lay tracks down for me right now and like deter me from this direction and go in, you know, a field of flowers over there. But no, I want to jump over this ravine. I believe in myself. I have found my faith out of the self-doubt that led me to fear. I've worked my way through that back up to faith, which is stronger now than ever before. And I am now going to take this leap across, regardless of what the strongest, like closest people in my life are telling me they perceive. And that is self-love because you're trusting yourself. You're listening to yourself over what people that you otherwise care about more than yourself most of the time are saying. You're proving yourself love to yourself. You're trusting yourself. It's like being your own partner. If you don't trust your partner, the love is not as strong as it can be. And you want to be able to identify why. So today's topic is really about not letting in voices from the external world around you of those that are closest to you. And this is a tricky one because those who are closest to us are part of our internal worlds. They're part of our heart. We love our parents. We love our spouse. We want our parents' love. If, our love if, our, if we don't feel like we're getting our parents' love, we want it. Okay, then you get angry when you don't get it. You feel abandoned, rejected, abused. You know, all of these things we come from in different ways on different levels. But overall, that's what makes it so tricky to not incorporate how they're treating you or what they view you as because of their own self-created limitations or their journey that they've lived that has led them to being filled with shortcomings of their own and maybe fear and maybe they're lost a little bit and maybe they're hanging off the cliffs of self-doubt in their own life. How not to let that into your path is hard because not only do you come from them and you want them to support you and you want their love but they are a part of your internal world in there because they're in your heart so what we want to do with this is not get lost in the wow this is tricky I don't know how to disassociate myself from the people I love most that may not see me the way I want to be seen and maybe they're viewing me in a way that is not favorable or maybe they don't believe in me. Why don't they believe in me? Maybe I shouldn't believe in myself. You don't want to go that direction. And you don't want to look at that stuff because it's like down that path, madness lies. That's one of my quotes I say all the time from Shakespeare, from King Lear. Down that path, madness lies. Don't focus on that stuff. What you want to focus on, again, comes back to that choice. You're focusing on negative or positive. Focus on what you do believe in in yourself. Who am I without the role of who am I with my parents? Who am I with my mom? Who am I with my dad? Without the role that I play, that I am inherently born with and be able and, and start to construct with this other person or the world around me, who am I outside of those roles? Who am I when I'm not looking at my spouse for that approval or that? Uh, support? Who am I when I'm not looking to my mom or at my mom or in with my mom in a conversation or with my dad in a conversation um, about this risky thing I want to do? And if they don't believe in me, I'm going to get caught up in that. But if I focus on who am I in this without my association to them, then I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm going to actually start to get caught up in myself, not from a self-absorbed, you know, egocentric place, but from a truly centered, real deep, introspection place of your own journey why do I want to jump over this ravine what is pulling me to take this leap 
What is my heart telling me I want to do? Can I believe in myself? Can I trust myself? And this can only happen when you start to talk to yourself. Not like a schizophrenic. Although I sound like one a lot. I talk to myself all the time. But more so from a place of real inside, being your own best friend, being your own partner, being your own everything. And when you can do that, when you can start to really just be inside with yourself, be home with yourself, there is a force field that goes up between you and even those closest to you that are in your heart, not letting in what doesn't align with your true self and what your true self wants to create in this life. Does this like speak to you, Cody? Cody's here with me today. Hey there. <laughs> I'm very excited that we have new fresh blood sitting on the panel today and I'm not going to torture him and try to make him go into the lagoon of light with me. But I want to hear how this resonates with you, if it does at all. Oh, no, it definitely does. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint exact, uh, you know, moments in my life. But it's something that comes up a lot, you know, where you have to kind of make that decision if, you know, maybe this will disappoint people close to you or change the way you view they view you, but that's not really why you're doing it. I think it's important mm. definitely finding out why you're doing things. Seriously. When did you know you wanted to do what you're doing right now? Like, you are you work at this radio station. What's your goal? What do you want to do? Um, well, largely I'm here because I didn't know. So I came here just kind of looking for something to do. I mm. ended up doing some journalism stuff, some just kind of like web product or kind of like website You're stuff. You're finding yourself right now. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. I mean, we always are, aren't we? Oh, yeah, but I'm definitely trying to but, figure out, which is a great place to be here for that because a lot of stuff. Yes, there's a lot of different like hats you can wear here and try out and oh, try definitely. on. Definitely. Right? So you're in a very liberated place in your life right now where you can do that. And how old are you? Early 20s, right? 25, so. Oh, perfect age. Getting up yeah. there. That's great. I love the mid-20s. So do you know about the quarter-life crisis? <laughs> not uh, to ruin your day or anything. But. Maybe. Now I'm going to be going through one. I don't know. But uh, I can definitely kind of see that. Do you yeah. feel like you are? Um, Maybe not directly, but I definitely can see, uh, I can definitely see where it comes from. I mean, you look around, you know, a lot of people, you see kind of, I don't know, it feels like 25 doesn't feel that old, but at the same time, high school was seven years ago. You know, so it's an interesting kind of period. You're starting to feel... What? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I remember the first time someone showed me Snapchat and I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, oh, man, like I'm, I'm getting like, up there. That's the first time you felt old. Yeah. That was the first <gasps> time I was 25. like, I can't do this. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, first of all, I, I can't keep up with all those apps either. I mean, like I'm barely on Instagram, but, you know, it doesn't make you uncool. Oh, no. But I remember when I was a kid, I mean, I pick up that stuff and I, I remember, uh, what was it? MySpace, spending hours oh, doing God. HTML coding on my MySpace page. And wow. you know, now I can barely figure out to hold the middle of my screen for the Snapchat picture. So right. it's, it's just, a, I think the biggest thing I noticed I took from it was my level of interest. Because I would spend hours learning how to do HTML from MySpace. Mm -hmm. And then someone showed me Snapchat. I'm like, that's cool, but. You're not into it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to spend that? hours. Like, yeah. well, yeah. And so why, why make it this whole big thing that questions your, you know, construct of age in this life so far and think you're in a crisis because you feel old because you didn't know how to do snapchat how about you're just not into snapchat i'm not into snapchat that's why i'm like i don't have it like i don't care mm -hmm. i don't care my best friend's trying to like has been trying to get me on snapchat for ages all my friends are on it and like joke with each other all the time i don't feel like i'm missing the party i'm like all right that's cool like i don't care mm -hmm. i like facebook i dig facebook um but like, I'm really not much of a technological person. And maybe that sets you apart from, I guess that alone might set me apart from today's world. Cause I'm just like, eh, give me the typewriter. Like, you know, like. 
for me, the big thing is just the, uh, I'm not, I don't know if better or for worse. I'm not super big in being hyper connected with everyone I've yes. ever met and seeing the things they do every day and showing yes. the things. Well, sorry, seeing the fun things they do every day and I nothing don't care. else. Yeah, exactly. I don't care what exactly. you ate for lunch. And alternatively, I don't care for them to see what I ate for lunch either. So right. it's just kind of a, yeah. Yes. So it was a more positive thing I kind of looked at as I was just kind of moving past that. You know, my social media has to be on point so people have a good image of me. Ah, you just touched on that point there. Right. There's many different reasons why we do things like that. Like post a picture of our lunch, (laughs) our tomato fricassee over like boiled chicken is not interesting. I'm sorry. It might taste good. It might be your favorite lunch today. That's great. Don't care. And that just flooded my newsfeed because there are 10 people, you know, that like just posted what they're eating for lunch. I don't know why people do that. However, I was about to get into that. There are reasons why we do these things. Okay, and one of them is what you just said. You want this image of you put out there, and I think it's more for you than anything else. I mean, people often judge others for like putting out this positive image of themselves, like constructing this life that they want to look like they live, Mm -hmm. and they're judged for wanting people to think that, and I think it's less about what other people think. I think the reason why people do that is because they want to look at their lives in a positive way. You're doing it kind of for you. If you think about everything we do in life comes down to ourselves. You know, everything I do on this show, everything I do in my life is all about um, cultivating autonomy. And autonomy really just means you're walking up your own path on your own two feet with your own weight in your own backpack, figuring out your own shit. It's you and you. Okay, and for you to be a great partner to somebody, if you ever want to walk alongside someone, is you on your path and them on theirs, parallel to you, and you're holding hands. They're not on your path, you're not on theirs, you're not getting off your path to try to help somebody else's path, you're on yours. You have your own journey, and you got to know that and be centered in that. There's a practice for it, like that I do in Let It Loose, that a lot of people um, for thousands of years have cultivated the art of, which is inner awareness, awareness of self. Every mindful, beautifully um, collaborated with moment of your day that you are home inside and aligned with your intention to do something is your personal power. You're living authentically in that moment, whether you're lost or getting found. Lost is getting found. Getting found is being lost. So loving that about yourself and loving the journey, because that is the journey, you're constantly lost and found. Constantly. And if you're not, you're stagnant, and that's boring. And I don't want to walk with boring people. Like, I want to walk up the path with people that are currently lost and getting found all the time. It's cycles of growth. It's cycles of opening, 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 walking higher and higher and higher to the peak of that self-love. I call it the mountain of life, right? Whatever visuals work for you. But... You know, in general, when you put together like a page or a profile on Facebook, you're allowing yourself this third party perspective, aerial view of a life that either you want to live or like a life that you actually do live. You're putting together all it's like a scrapbook of all your favorite moments of this week. (laughs) Like you get to look back and honor that in a way that I don't think a lot of people are recognizing that um, is a beautiful thing. That's a very positive way of looking at why we put stuff on Facebook. So I say I don't care about the boiled chicken over, you know, tomato fricassee that you had for lunch. But I do care that you post like 12 times a week about random stuff that you're thinking, feeling, um, living, 
cute picture of your grandson there or a cute picture of your, you know, 10th picture of your kid I've seen in the last hour on my newsfeed if like you're constantly scrolling. I look at that and I go, wow, okay, that's cool. You're loving what is happening in your life right now. Or maybe you want to love what's going on in your life right now. And you're giving yourself something to look at and appreciate it from a more distant perspective. You're giving yourself a third-party perspective to look at it from, like the observer. So that's why I love Facebook. For me, I love it for the observer perspective. I have a child. I walked through every, I had phases on Facebook where I was on every day posting a thousand pictures of my baby and the nursery. And here's the goo he just, not spit up, but like here's the goo. I'm, he had bananas for the first time. Like, I don't care if anybody cares about that. I did it for me. It was a place for me to put my life and appreciate and enjoy it like an online scrapbook. Um, and why I got into it was because I was living abroad. And this is, leads me into the second reason we do social media like this. Um, it's to feel more connected. You said you didn't care about that kind of connection to people that you knew once in third grade who looked you up because they remembered your last or they saw you through a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. And they're like, oh my God, you're like, Leon, what? Weren't you sitting next to me in, you know, Miss Binderman's class? <laughs> like, I don't really care, but hey, sure, why not be a friend, you know? Those kind of things um, are not something personal to you, maybe. Not personal to me. I don't care about that either. But what is personal is if you're in a phase of your life where you are expanding. You've either moved or some new development is happening in your world and you're changing, you're growing, and your base is opening and expanding. And maybe you want to connect that much more to the people that you do like and people that you were in school with because we are all mirrors for each other. So the kids you were in high school with, for instance, may mean more to you on the scale of connecting with them just even via their occasional newsfeed updates just to recognize where you are at from where you came from. Um, not in a comparison way, but in a this is my generation way. We are 25 right now. We are how many years from your 10-year reunion? I think uh, three, 2010, so three years. Okay. I didn't care about mine. You know, and you watch movies like from the 90s, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, that was like the big deal was this 10-year. Not really. Not a lot happens in 10 years as far as like you being that ultra, I don't know. You're not in a, a you're a different person for sure. You should be. But in this day and age, we're living much more, I think, in the moment, uh, this generation. And you're really just going, and it seems like you're still in that history class when you go to your 10-year uh, reunion. Or you don't go at all because you're just like, well, I don't care. You're all on my Facebook anyway. I know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's different these days. I think a lot has changed. I don't think we can compare what we do these days with social media connection-wise with the way that the world used to connect uh, previously. I think it's a whole new ball of wax. I think it's a real tool to assist us in connecting and getting our ideas out and getting our views spread and allowing us to see ourselves from that observer perspective in a way that was never offered before things like Facebook and you could put your life in like an online scrapbook. Um, but it's again, it's how you use it. If you get inundated, if it becomes obsessive, Hopefully that's just a phase. 
that you get yourself out of because ultimately you want to be cultivating the observer in yourself on a daily basis without needing to put it online. You want to connect with the person sitting across from you as opposed to somebody that you haven't seen in 20 years that you may or may not remember. That is a form of connection, but the most authentic and most powerful one is heartbeat to heartbeat, breath to breath, presence to presence, connecting. And when is the last time you had a real conversation, um, you know, randomly with somebody that like, I mean, do you have, let's start there. Do you have real conversations? Oh yeah, sometimes, definitely. Okay. With your closest friends or with just like random people? Like what, what no, is no your life like? close to me, some close friends typically. Yeah. And that's like mainly what most of us have. We have like two or three I mean, they say if you can count your closest friends on one hand, you're really lucky, right? And they're going to be like your buds. They're connected to you. Those are my people too. I have two of them um, that I've known forever. But, I mean, generally, I live in a space where I want to cultivate connection. I, I don't seek it necessarily. I seek it in myself. I connect to myself in every environment that I'm in. I check in with myself. And I can't do mundane bullshit conversation. It doesn't just bore me. Like, I get anxiety over it. I can't do small talk. A lot of people can't actually. I've noticed that, which I don't personally, I don't get because I'm a big small talker. But I will say on the other flip side of that, I'm not really big at uh, talking about personal things with strangers. I will small talk with strangers for 45, 50 minutes, two hours. Oh, you're but, the small talker then. Yeah, but they don't ask me about anything uh-huh. personal about my life. And Got it's just, it. uh, you know, how about that weather? You know, how about Dodgers? They're doing oh, good. Oh, see, I, so. can't, I can't do that. I can't do that for too long. I got like a real time limit on that. It's like maybe 10, 15 minutes of shooting the shit. And then I want to talk about something more and I can't because then I have respect for people's boundaries and I sense them. I sense people's boundaries. And so if I feel that boundary come up where I know like not to tread anywhere near anything real, um, I'm gently going to politely bow out of the conversation pretty quickly after that 15 minutes after I've run out of. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not going time. anywhere, clearly. Right. It's kind of the conversations pretty much hit the uh, for me. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can general. do 15 minutes of small talk. I can, but it's nothing. I mean, I could do it. But it's like recreational. I mean, I'm right. not, we're not getting anywhere. It's, right. Yeah, and look, there's nothing wrong with with wanting to only share deeper things with people that you really know. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. It's it's beautiful. I do the same. I don't just wear my feelings on my sleeves, um, which brings me to the, another reason why people write on social media. They vent, okay? They use it as a venting platform, either out of anger or just they want to post about their bad day or they want to post about some really sad thing you know, that just happened to them, their heart is breaking, they need some outlet for it. And so usually this comes through in a really passive aggressive post about the guy that just broke up with you or the girl that's like not calling you back or like some people, you know, you know, it'll come through in a meme or it'll come through in like some post that's very generalized, but you know, if you're the person they're talking about that it's specific towards you. And then your like list of friends knows that you're talking about that person. And okay, it's a way to vent. I respect it. I don't do it but I respect it. I don't post one personal thing. It's a good idea. Very rare that I even post anything political, like an opinion. Another very good idea. Right? Because in 20 years, guess what? People will bring that up if uh, things turn on you. So it's good to keep that stuff, you know, I feel like out of the internet. Because especially some of that stuff, you're not screening it either. You know, you just throw it up there and it's up there for 
ever. Six months, yeah, forever. Well, forever. Yeah. Anything that goes online now, I mean, come on. And you've got, this is another way to let it loose. You know the whole like um, hacking thing that happened with the celebrities with their naked pictures? Yep. And originally a couple of them were like, <gasps> oh my God, right? Well, I loved, I think it was Scarlett Johansson. I don't like her personally, but like I liked that she did this. I think it was her. She kind of came back and was like, and those are my tits. And that's my vagina. It's pretty, isn't it? You know, like she owned it. So, okay. If you're going to take naked pictures, um, granted she was hacked into. Okay, that's not cool. No. But like if you're going to take pictures and send them, just recognize that any data that is being technologically transferred in the ether around you that is now part of a web that is worldwide is going to be stuck in that web worldwide till this whole thing crashes down and we all uh dissipate oh yeah probably even longer than that it'll probably still be there we just can't access it oh talk to me about that what's your theory there i don't theory i could just see that stuff lasting forever i mean if it's now, how a... does technological data continue to exist if like the web itself crashes and dies um well i mean Deconstructs. i could i could take a file put it on a you know external disk put it in a desk drawer 80 90 years later everything could be down but you could still find that get it booted up it's still there I mean, no one can see it, but it could still be there. Yeah, but that's if a system correlates to what the data is that it represents. Like, oh, yeah, you, you know, systems, uh, systems out, um, they run out, they die, they get like, you know, whatever. Remember those disks way back when, when computers were dinosaurs? Oh, yeah. Can you still access data in disks if the computer itself no longer has a disk drive? I mean, with the right hardware, yeah, but yeah, without the right You'd hardware. You'd have to build the hardware. Yeah, but like I said, even if you, we can't access it, it'll still mm -hmm. be out there. Maybe right. we can't see it, but it's still there. It's still there in the ether. Like, how do you then, what does it matter? It doesn't. But there I mean. you go. That's let it loose. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It None, none of it matters. Because it's all neutral energy until you put a property on it. So whatever's causing you anxiety, whatever's causing you stress, whatever's causing you heartbreak, you have to be able to start to delineate what is your shit, what is somebody else's shit. If it's somebody else's shit, why are you holding on to it? Number two, if you feel heavy and weighted in a certain area, you got to learn how to transmute that heaviness back to a neutral place inside of you because everything is just energy. It's just consciousness. And it's all inherently neutral until an emotion gets stuck on it. But it's your emotion so all you need to do is go inside to address what that is and then let it go. Let it loose, right? You're going to do the same thing with your sexual energy. And I guess today's show is really just about integrating some of these concepts about who we are versus who people think we are. You got to drop those roles. This is the place to start. So at the end of this show right now, I'm just, I mean, like whenever it is, I'm going to give you a practice in the meditation through the river of the breath that you're going to be able to look from that observer perspective inside of you at the roles that you play in your life and recognize like you're holding them in the palm of your hand that they are not you that you are actually a separate you from these roles you're holding like constructs like balls in your hand and then you can let them go you can actually like open your hand and release those balls up into a place for transmutation where you are releasing yourself from the shackles of what those roles are defined by society, defined by your parents, what you're letting your spouse define you as, what you're letting your friends define you as, what you're letting like yourself in the world that you are living in define you as. Recognize you are your own microcosm and nothing is real unless you place your attention there on it and especially in yourself. 
So whatever is going on inside of you, you're in control of. And today is about recognizing that from this conversation we're having right now, but then to bring it in to an actual practice. Um, so give me like an example, of, if you don't mind, we're not going to get personal with you. An example of something that you've had to like overcome as far as a role. Something that was a role for you. I don't know if you played a sport in high school. I don't know if you were seen a certain way. And you had to really dig inside yourself and find that faith in that self-love compass I was talking about. You started in doubt, slipped to fear, came back up to faith. And now that self-love that you leapt to in that leap of faith has allowed you to feel more centered, even if you're in the lost years of your 20s, which I love, by the way. Um, well, I guess personally, I don't really know. Top my two mind things. I think one of the biggest things was just um, when it came to going to college. I went and I kind of felt, I don't know, just disinterested and almost kind of trapped because I had a lot of pressure. Obviously, you finish high school, you go to college, and who is the pressure from? Parents mostly. I mean, yeah. grandparents, just kind right. of that. again. That's a role, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh -huh. even just kind of the larger sense that it's kind of just general social pressure, especially from this area of kind of like you go to school after and a very traditional path. Yeah, right. exactly. And I, I think it, it was one of those things where it was a tough spot where I kind of knew inside I didn't like it, mm -hmm. but it took me a while to kind of accept that. It took a while to kind of accept like, oh, I don't like this. I can do something else. Oh, what was that while, breakthrough? Um, like sophomore year? Yeah. I mean, there's a few starts and stops. I would say the breakthrough more came um, one time. I mean, it didn't come in the most positive way, but I was just stopped going to class. And instead of having that kind of like, weird just self-loathing i'm like why am i here i'm just wasting my oh, you time just said, i don't fuck even it. care yeah i just stopped going I, you just said fuck it and i realized i was like hey this is better than what i was doing before <laughs> i mean this is I, I feel okay with this and what was this what did you replace class with um first nothing and then i was looking a lot of video games <laughs> stuff. i mean you know things and then um i started working uh some family friends of mine they're opening up these stores and um mm. they're really interesting little stores it was Essentially a way to kind of, uh, it was a creative way to sell cigarettes where they were cheaper. Oh, cool. Uh, where a machine would roll them for you. Um, but That's the, innovative. Oh, yeah. It was really the idea. Uh, the government clamped down on it. It's no longer exists. But at the time, and it was, um, one of the biggest things was, it was actually out here at the store. And, you know, a lot of cigarettes in bulk for cheap. It's older people, typically people in like fixed mm -hmm. income. And the way the store worked is a machine would roll the cigarettes for them, and they'd mm -hmm. sit there 10, 15 minutes and just talk to me, sometimes 40 minutes, 50 minutes, however long it took. You got to connect with people, too. That, and I got to speak with a lot of just people who have, you know, they were 50, they were sick, they were 70. and Different they'd... phase of life. Exactly. And I kind of just heard how they got where they were. And Love I, it. And it was, you know, it kind of just opened my eyes to, like, there is To almost, life? Yeah, infinite paths. You can go wherever you want. So I love that. that so was you learned, like, acceptance moment. of, like, and also, again, mirrors for each other, right? You saw yourself in these people, even though you were years apart. They were talking about their journey, what got them there. You can relate to it on a human level regardless of where you've come from. That's what expands you. I mean, oh, yeah. something totally different to you, totally different path, and yet feelings resonated. Oh, of course, yeah. What were some of the feelings that resonated, even though their paths were totally different to yours as the, you know, nice suburban kid from a suburban community, from a family that has certain values and wants you to go this traditional path, and maybe you were talking to some guy that had been in Vietnam and came from, I don't know, a completely different culture, and yet... The humanness in that 15-minute story while a cigarette was getting rolled is what opened your eyes to a deeper you. Oh, yeah, of Isn't course. Isn't that amazing? Oh, definitely, what yeah. What was that? Uh, the biggest thing that stuck with me, um, especially later on, I moved to a store in Main Street in Ventura, so a different kind of crowd. But just the people who – because there's the people who didn't really have the, I guess, self-confidence to mm. 
say, I'm going to step out. I'm just going to do it. I mean, I remember one woman I was talking to throughout the 70s and 80s. She just hitchhiked across the world. I Love mean, it. South America, Central America, parts yeah. of Africa and Asia. And I remember just thinking, like, I could never, you know, just believe in myself enough. Like, I'm just going to go out there and whatever. I'll come home one day. But, you know, she did it. And it just kind of seeing that and other people with similar stories of just kind of, yeah, I just spent 20 years just wandering. And in a way, it's, you know, different ways to look at it. But I just took the confidence from it. The idea that, like, I'm good. Whatever. Give me whatever you give me. I'm fine. I can just plow ahead. And that was just really interesting seeing that in so many different people, so many different eras manifesting in so many different ways. But that same kind of threat of, like, just feeling like you can go do it and just going to do it. Just do it. Yeah, especially things where, you know, I feel like in a way it's almost easy to say I'm going to go be a doctor. Because who's going to say, why are you being a doctor? You know what I mean? It's harder to right. say I'm going to go hitchhike across I'm going to go be, be a vagabond for a year exactly. and go stay in hostels and like have bonfires on the beach and play Pink Floyd on a classical guitar. And I'm going to learn classical guitar and I'm going to talk to people under the stars and like be a nomad. Exactly. There's right. very few people saying, yeah, I get it. Totally. Go ahead and do that. Most people are kind of, oh. Really? You find that in really? today's generation? No, no. I was, generation I was being too. sarcastic oh. a little oh. bit. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Even today's generation, it's like I said, it's easy. It's funny. Now it's easy. I'm going to be an Instagram model and people will say, yeah, cool. Do it. Be an Instagram model. But you say, I want to drop off, you know, social media and kind of spend some time, you know, farming. And, people and you're a weirdo, like, Wow, right? yeah. What's wrong with this guy? I don't know. I don't know if that's so weird anymore. I mean, I know a lot of people that uh, in their 20s and early 30s right now on this, you know, I keep talking about like generational connection, right? There's a mindset that is similar among all the people of a certain generation. Um, and then there are, of course, people of every generation that are like, you know, it's really coming down to the person that you are and what you bring. But there's a general connective thing that like connects a, a period of time that people grow up in. Those from the 70s and 80s have something bonding them. My God, they went through like early revolution time, you know, like the love revolution, freaking Vietnam War, uh, you know, politics changing, government expanding, it, uh, tourism opening, airlines expanding so people could fly to Africa and get a safari and not be that nomad necessarily on their own. They could out take like a Pan Am flight and go do that for a cheaper price because you get a bulk fare because now it's run by a corporation. All of this stuff changed. That means mindset changed. That means whoever was growing into that mindset in that generation was going to have a different kind of inherent mindset underneath who they are um, in that generation than the generation before them. So when I talk generation, talking about my generation, hello, the who knew what the hell they were talking about, man. That's why they're the who. Um, listen to the music around that time period. So many free thinkers outside of the system. And we're coming into another one of those eras. They call this the age of Aquarius. They call this that age of Aquarius where in the metaphor of holding onto the boulder or releasing into the flow of the river and the river's pulling you in and your intuition wants to go in, but you're holding onto that boulder. You just got to let go. And this, the hardest part, the scariest part, we've reflected this in so many sessions so far, is that moment just before you let go. Because once you let go, the free fall itself, that's not scary. I mean, it's scary at first because you're like, what the? Oh, my God. But overall, you're in the flow and it feels really good. You realize it really fast. Like you did. You said, fuck it one day. You woke up the next day, you're like, well, this feels pretty good. But the moment before you said, fuck it, you were probably your most anxious, your most stressed, your most holding tight to, oh, God damn, I don't want to do this. Ah! We hold the tightest right before we let go. Oh, of course. And I remember the biggest thing for me, too. Originally, there was a thought of like 
man, I'm going to have to just do this again. Another day, I'm going to have to just come back and try this again. And, and the I thought kinda, of it killed you. Yeah, then I realized, like, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> this will be the last day I ever go to class. I mean, I don't know if it will be, but it could have been, you know? So free, I, A free thinker, yeah. right? And how did your parents take it? How did your grandparents take it? Were you scared about the reaction? And how did you own your cojones uh, to kind of stand ground against it? Uh, for me, the biggest thing was, I mean, just the kind of family I have, it wouldn't have been like a outwardly disappointment or like anger or anything like that. But I mean, you know, they'll they'll quietly kind of say, okay, you know, whatever you want. But to me, it was just more knowing that as if I could go out there and find some level of success in whatever I do, just being able to kind of bring that back and say, look, I didn't do this because I just I didn't feel like going to school. I did this because I actually had somewhere else I felt like I needed to be. So just finding that, I feel like, is what I owe to them, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I'm glad you brought that in. That's a really heartfelt component of um, why we end up feeling bad not jumping over the ravine if we're not going to jump over the ravine when our parents tell us not to but we still want to what you want to do is be able to jump over the ravine and look back at your parents go look i did that and you're my parents and i'm making you proud you want to make your parents proud that's like such an inherent thing even if your parents were never there you want that approval you want that validation you want that admiration and acknowledgement um and you know that's it becomes more important then it becomes more important to most people than your own validation, your own approval, your own acceptance and acknowledgement. And that is the journey. You've got to be able to recognize you validating yourself is the most important thing. That is self-love. You've got to cultivate this faith and belief in yourself. And this coming from a boy that is a really free thinker and yet you don't see yourself being able to take a, you know, three months and go backpacking through hostels in Europe, I beg to differ, you would love it. There's, oh, yeah, there's sure. no not loving it. <laughs> I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Africa. I lived in a mud hut. Oh, wow. For nine months. Oh, wow. It's a while, too. Yeah. I didn't look in a mirror for a really long time. <laughs> How was that? How was the first time you looked in a mirror again? How was it was that? liberating. No, it was liberating to not look in a mirror. Well, I can imagine. And I look like, you know, most people in my life at that time, I was 26. So I was 25 when I did Europe backpacking. I had like three years of complete, not necessarily nomad. I kept coming back to base, <laughs> like which was here, my parents' house. Um, I had finished my, my bachelor's and I had started to get into that no man's land in a really awesome way of, okay, who am I? Like I'm done with this portion of school right now. I know I want to go back to school because I want to be a psychologist. I knew I wanted to be a psychologist from the age of like 15. Um, I also wanted to be an actress. I am an actress. I'm total thespian in my blood and being and soul and like from lives and lives and lives. But I didn't want to do that in this life. I had to choose at 18 which course I wanted to take. Do I want to go into college now and go for the degrees that are going to be like 10 years till I get that doctorate? Okay. Or do I want to pound the pavement, go to the cattle calls, get the agent and really hit it hard in Hollywood and be that actress? And I was not called in that direction. I did not. I had to sit there and really feel it. I was not interested. I got nauseous, but not in a, ooh, this is an indication that I'm scared, which is a good thing. Let's go in the direction of me being scared so that I can challenge myself and rise above it. No, I was literally not the good kind of nauseous thinking about the industry today and the machine that it's become. And I feel much more close and connected to it and authentic with it. I feel the heartbeat of it from another time. I didn't want to ruin that for myself. 
And I knew that being a doctor and helping people was a true purpose in this life that I am truly being called to do. And it kicks my ass if I don't stay focused with it. So I literally, after The Bachelors, carved out these couple of years for myself in my 20s where I said, okay, I'm going to pause. I know I want to get my, the master's, the doctorate, all of it. But if I don't take this time right now to just get lost and not look in the mirror and to become my own inner observer, my own mirror became most important, um, then I'm never going to get the opportunity like I have right now again at this, at this time without the responsibility, without marriage and kids, without, uh, you know, future goals that I want to achieve at certain periods of my life, like a house, like a, a, you know, a career. Um, I want to be able to go in my 20s and do this. And so from 25 to 27, I worked at the newspaper, the local newspaper, The Signal. I became a lifestyle writer. I'd never had journalism experience in my life. I walked in one day, like they did a story on me um, after coming back from Africa. And I looked at the girl interviewing me, and I'm like, how do I do what you're doing right now? She gave me the number to her editor. I walked in. He was wearing a Snoopy tie and an editor's hat with chili on his tie. And I loved him instantly. <laughs> he was like, Dukov, you want a story? Get out there. I'm like, well, don't you want coffee? Like, don't I start somewhere? He's like, you want to write, don't you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, show me what you got. Do by five. I was like, okay. That's how it started. And I did it for two years with love in my heart for every single story that I wrote. And it taught me discipline in writing, which became later very important on my overall path because I'm a writer that needs to write books. I got a, I've had a block in that area um, about letting my true voice come through in the writing. I can do it here talking. I can do it in my sessions talking, but writing it down has been a block. So that experience later, I didn't know why I was doing it then, but that experience later taught me as I looked back, oh, wow. That gave me the discipline I need. And I needed to cultivate that during a period of my life that was totally undisciplined. And I was like living in mud huts and hostels and backpacking and not look, you know, just like being wild, bohemian, dancing on beaches in Zanzibar, Zanzibar with Maasai tribe members under a billion stars with nothing but like Swahili and like a sarong. It was awesome. Fucking awesome. So during this period, I cultivated a certain discipline through the writing at the newspaper when I was here that I didn't realize at the time was going to be so fundamentally important because when I was done getting lost, I was getting found through that getting lost. And I got myself into the masters. That discipline kicked in. I started writing papers like I could do it with my eyes closed because I learned how to do it with a deadline, with a, um, a finite glance at what I really wanted to say, like in a sentence, not in 10, you know, and um, that helped me get into the doctorate. So I've just been like moving since then. And what I'm trying to say is when you put your intention on something, do it fully. If your intention at 25 is right now, I'm lost and that's kind of cool. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm liking that. You're not really lost. You've kind of like found yourself in the lostness of not having a complete direction right now. There's no such thing as one unless your intention is on it. If, you're, if your intention is on not having a complete direction right now, that's a complete direction. Own it. <laughs> you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah, no, I definitely, I've been, uh, it took a you know, little while to realize that, that that's what, you know, 
kind of was going on for a while. I felt like just kind of like directionless. And I realized, no, I'm not really directionless as much as I'm trying to find my direction. There you go. That's the direction. direction. That is the direction. Okay. Awesome. I love you, Cody. Awesome. That is it. It's owning wherever you are and knowing that wherever you are, if you can see yourself and really understand every like longitudinal, latitudinal direction of why you're there in that moment, you are at a point on your path. You have found yourself in not knowing where the fuck you are. That is somewhere. Oh, of course. <laughs> Lost is a place. Like, it's awesome. It's a place on the map as long as you can actually look and own it there. And then the next step presents itself to you. You might just be randomly called. I was randomly called to Australia, man. I was randomly called to Israel. Birthright was awesome. I went with my friend. I mean, it was just awesome doing these random things that just came out of nowhere. And the more you open yourself, the more comes. And say yes. Say yes to everything. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a great time in life to do that. But you should always be aware of being that in every phase of your life. Because as I was finishing the master's, again, this comes back to owning where you are and just knowing what you want, having that intention really strong to guide and direct you in that compass of self-love, right? I also was not looking for a partner. I was the most liberated sexually I'd ever been in my life and intimately and emotionally and spiritually and everything. I was just living me and bringing in the sexual transmutation and energetic transmutation I've always done in my life anyway, this inner awareness I've always cultivated and always been on this path to like um, bringing home even more solidly. This all came full circle for me around this time. And right at the end of that brink of that three years, I was traveling and just doing everything. I met my partner. I met my husband. I wasn't looking for him. I mean, it's like that old saying when you're not looking for like the butterflies, they show up. It's He was there. And it's like a different story for another time. But like it was so random and awesome the way we met. And it was kismet. And it was great. I moved to Switzerland because he's from Switzerland. We met in Vegas. It's not your typical we met in Vegas story. Believe me, I was a model in a gun show. I don't know how the fuck that happened. I still don't know how the fuck that happened. Because I said yes to everything. Do you miss it? Miss what? Modeling at gun shows? No, it was one gun show for a week in Vegas. Like a family friend called me and was like, hey, do you want to do this? I, yeah, I just come back from London. I was engaged to somebody else that I had like an old story with that I didn't want to be with. And like he and I ended it. It was awesome. It was liberating. And I came home and it was just like a whole new kick in the direction of what I wanted because I realized what I didn't want. That's part of it too. Again, getting lost is getting found. You realize what you want when you see what you don't want. You didn't want to go to class. So fuck it. And it doesn't mean you know what you want, but you know what you don't want, right? So like I came home from London, liberated. I'm from London originally, so he knew my whole family. And it was like, we looked like cake toppers. We were so perfect on paper for each other. On paper. We couldn't stand each other, man. Like we just couldn't do it. It was great. I love him like a brother, but no. Anyway, so I came back and a family friend called and he's like, hey, you want to do gun show in Vegas for a week a friend of mine you know who does baby brownings the little 1930s handguns that have like the diamond studs on them and you stick the you stick it in your garter like the <laughs> film noir he's like can you be the model for it I'm like yeah that's up my alley I don't do guns I don't know any- nothing should have brought me closer to the gun world than an action movie watching Arnold Schwarzenegger but like this was a yes because I was so liberated at the time and there was my husband the big boy in the room that was like buying all the stuff up as an executive of um, his company. So it was like awesome that that happened so randomly. And it didn't happen overnight. It was like a slow, really cool, authentic process of getting to know each other over like different 
periods of time over like a year and a half traveling back and forth to see each other my goals didn't get interrupted I was zeroed in on my intention to finish my master's at the time and when that was done everything aligned and I moved to Switzerland and it was like the perfect time to do it and we had a beautiful baby and got married and I told him I don't care what we do as long as you have me back in LA by 2016 latest because I am getting licensed in the state of California and I'm going to finish my doctorate in the state of California he's like okay that gives us what five years I'm like yeah (laughs) I'll go to Timbuktu with you till then have me back in LA for that like come hell or high water and the boy did we moved back home August of 2015 so here I am finishing the doctorate eight months to go gonna be you know side um and let it loose is that work and it all brings in what we've been talking about today that as you get down into your lagoon that inner awareness that you got to cultivate take your roles see them in the palm of your hand like bubbles look at them iridescently like there's iridescence in each bubble at the bottom of your lagoon you're holding them in your hand see like you're looking in a mirror this role that you have, this one represents your mom in you. But don't look at your mom. Look at yourself in that bubble. Who are you in that role? Then another bubble drops down in your hand, and it's you in relation to your dad. How does your dad um, contribute the idea of your dad in you? How does that contribute to you? What's your role with your dad? Even if it's not him actively doing it, it's you. Because it's not real unless you attach to it, right? We are very attached to our roles. And the idea is to unattach from them, to discover the true you that is you, not in relation to anything or anybody else except yourself. You are being your own mirror like I became in Africa when I didn't have a physical one to look in. I became my own. And in the eyes of every single person you connect to, I was still on social media, but very much less because you're in a mud hut carrying an orphan in one hand and digging a ditch with the other. I planted banana trees, okay? I lived in a mosquito net. I shat in a cho. (laughs) It's a 40-foot hole in the ground the size of a brick. Um, Bucket showers, like, that took an hour to heat up the water. These are things that are real that make you, like, they throw you into the moment. They throw you. You are thrown into the moment. And recognize that you can have that balance of social media and connecting to others all over the world. But connecting to those right in front of you in the moment, the present moment, has the power to be everything and anything you need to be able to look in the mirror of others, of yourself, and of life. And what this whole journey is to letting it loose. So, Cody, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was great. See you next time. Let it loose, folks.
it on down.